Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is March the 1st, 2024. It has been 3,686 days since Russia started covert military operations in Crimea, 10 years and 10 days since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, and 2 years and 7 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression. Today's podcast looks at events that happened on Thursday and Friday morning. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. There are minor updates today. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the General Staff of the Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. Our assessment that Russia would not announce the recognition of an independent republic of Transnistria, nor its annexation, was accurate. 2. Russian-aligned assets have co-opted the ongoing Polish border blockade, which has become an open act of hybrid warfare against Ukraine and the Baltic states. 3. The United States has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine, unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership before the 2024 elections. 4. We maintain that Ukraine's acute shortage of ammunition and air defense missiles will become catastrophic by April and see no viable path to stabilize the situation. 5. Due to necessity, Ukraine has shifted to a Fabian strategy to wear down Russian combat power while conserving resources. 6. In our assessment, Russia will not achieve its main operational goal set in October 2023 of capturing the remaining areas of the Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts and the areas east of the Uskil River in northern Kharkiv oblast by March 13. This is the last day of this entry. 7. The Kremlin is preparing to complete the transformation of the governmental structure into a dictatorship, culminating after the results of the sham presidential elections are released. 8. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the condition is more serious than what the International Atomic Energy Agency is reporting. We begin today's war report in the Kupiansk area of operation, or AO, in Kharkiv oblast. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported Russian attacks southeast of Parshotravneva and east of Tabayevka were repelled. After repeated attacks on the Veliky Burluk and Vilhovatka Hromadas by Russian aviation and missiles, the mandatory evacuation of 18 villages was announced. The areas are sparsely populated and not close to the current line of conflict, with approximately 1,200 people, including 161 children, impacted. 
in the Kremenayev of Luhansk Oblast, Russian attacks east of Terny and Yampolivka were repulsed. In the Lysychanskyo, Russian attempts to advance into Belogorivka from the east failed. Let's talk about the Donbass, starting in northeast Donetsk Oblast. In the Siversky-o, Russian-aligned sources reported that Ukraine launched a counteroffensive east of Berestove and made tactically significant advances. The Russian Ministry of Defense, Armored, claimed a Ukrainian attack was repulsed. There were no pictures, videos or Ukrainian reports, so the map was left unchanged. In the Bakhmutio, Russian forces broke through Ukrainian defenses southwest of the city. The spokesperson for the Hortetsi Operational Strategy Group, Captain Ilya Yevlash, said that the situation on the approaches to Chasivyar is, quote, steadily difficult. The Russian military is conducting combat operations within the settlements of Ivanivska and Bogdanivka. The Ukrainian military is doing everything possible to stop the offensive, unquote. Yevlash added that Russian reserves are raised as quickly as they are destroyed, and there has been an increase in the use of Chinese Desert Cross 1003 ATVs. Quote, the logic is, such buggies are more difficult to hit with artillery or drones. Groups of fighters jump out, one by one, so that they can establish a foothold on the terrain and create a bridgehead. Unquote. North of Bakhmut, in Russian-occupied Paraskovivka, NASA fire information for resource management systems indicated that a Russian target had been hit creating a significant area of fire. Northwest of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting on the northern edges of Bogdanivka, with no change in the situation. As previously noted, after a brief operational pause to pull up reserves, Russian forces entered the eastern parts of Ivanivska. Russian claims the settlement had been captured were later walked back. Due to a high level of uncertainty, we adjusted the map using terrain analysis and expanded the gray zone into the eastern half of Ivanivska. In the Klishivka AO, intense positional fighting continued north and northwest of Klishivka, with no significant changes to the situation. In the Toretsk New York AO, a reliable source reported that fighting was ongoing northwest of Mayorsk, in the direction of Druzhba and Ukrainian forces were pushed out of the Terukins on the eastern edge of occupied Horlevka. In southwest Donetsk oblast, Ukrainian forces made small but tactically significant gains in the Avdiivka AO, slowing the Russian advance. Russian forces were able to temporarily enter Berdyche, but suffered catastrophic losses and could not consolidate their gains. A very graphic video showed Russian armor losses and numerous casualties, and we link to it in our daily situation report. There is more information in the podcast description. GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces were shelled in Stepove, but made no claims of advancing back to the village. A video showed two Russian armored personnel carriers on the edge of the village, simultaneously hitting T-62 anti-tank mines. Russian mercenary Milblogo Wogonzo reported that Russian troops advanced in the direction of Semenivka, which were captured in yesterday's map update. Further south, Ukrainian forces pushed Russian troops out of Orlivka. Supporting the report that Russian troops were pushed out, Orlivka was bombed 10 times by the Russian VKS, that's the aerospace forces. Further south, Tonenka was bombed 30 times. The 40 sorties were among the record-setting 152 on February the 29th. 
fighting continued on the edges of Tonenka, where Ukrainian troops slightly improved the situation on the northern edge of the village. Southwest of occupied Avdiivka, fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske and near Nevelske, with no change in the situation. In the Marinkayo, the Ukrainian 3rd Assault Brigade released a video showing the house-to-house fighting on February 28, which pushed Russian forces out of southern Krasnohorivka. Russian attempts to advance into Georgievka and to move back into Pobeda were unsuccessful. In the Vogledaryo, Russian troops attacked Novomikhailivka from the northeast, east and south, suffered losses and retreated to their previous defensive positions. Further west, in the Staromlinivka area, the Ukrainian 58th Motor Infantry Brigade released graphic photos showing Russian armor and personnel losses near Novodonetskaya and Novomayorskaya. Wargonzo reported there was continued fighting on the Donetsk-Zaporizhia oblast's administrative border in the area of Priyutne. In Zaporizhia oblast, intense positional fighting continued in the Urihivayo. Russian sources claimed fighting continued near Verbove, and multiple sources reported fighting continued south and west of Robotene. Russian sources released a video showing the first echelon of the Surovikin line south of the settlement being struck by thermobaric rockets fired by a TOS-1A multiple launch rocket system. On February 28, videos showed the area was a no-man's land. Based on the new intelligence, we moved the line of conflict south, but left the grey area unchanged. The director general of Rosatom, Alexei Lihachev, announced that his counterpart with the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Grossi, will be in Moscow on March 6 to discuss the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Khersonio, there are more reports from Russian mail bloggers about Ukrainian advances. GSAFU reported, quote, the enemy does not give up its intention to knock out our units from the bridgeheads on the left bank of the Dnipro. So, during the day, four attempts were made to storm the positions of our troops. Unquote. Russian mail blogger Asitin wrote, quote, Comrade Saldo. Quick sidebar, he means Vladimir Saldo, the illegitimate Putin-approved governor of occupied Kherson. Krynke is not cleared. In addition, the enemy is present in Kozachi Lahiri in the east, but they haven't connected to the troops in Krynke. We won't get far on lies. Unquote. This is the third report from Russian sources of fighting near or in the village west of Krynke. We didn't change the line of conflict or change the status of Kozachi Lahiri to contested control, but we did put it in a new gray area on the war map. Armut claimed that a soldier with the Ukrainian 73rd Naval Infantry Special Operation Forces Detachment was captured on the Tendra Spit. Here is my summary of the situation with Poland. It's a hot mess. Ukrainska Pravda released its story, exposing the open shipments of Russian goods into Poland. Journalists called a Polish company and pretended to be the manager of a Belarusian company requesting to purchase Russian canola meal, also known as rapeseed, with Belarusian documents. The company requested terms and conditions for the sale to be sent. Here's the plot twist. 
in September 2023, after protests by Polish farmers, Warsaw banned the input of Ukrainian canola. Ukrainska Pravda journalist Mikhailo Tkach documented $8 million in Russian rapeseed mill shipped to Poland through Belarus in the fourth quarter of 2023. During the two days of observation at the Kukuriki breast checkpoint, hundreds of trucks entered Poland from Belarus, unobstructed. Here's how it works. Russian agricultural products delivered by Russian and Belarusian vehicles are transferred to trucks with Polish vehicle registrations in Belarus. Some of the loads have paperwork indicating the country of origin is Belarus, not Russia. It is important to note that existing sanctions against Russia and Belarus do not extend to the import or export of food items. Quick sidebar for full disclosure. Our chief content officer David Obels has written for Ukrainska Pravda. No one on our team worked directly or indirectly on this report. But wait, there's more. In 2023, Poland imported $450 million of goods from Belarus and $2.6 billion from Russia, with half consisting of motor fuel. Agricultural imports exceeded the record level set in 2021, with grain and oilseed imports doubling. On the same day the story was published, Prime Minister of Poland Donald Tusk, responding to a Latvian import embargo of Russian agricultural products, said, quote, We will analyze the situation in Latvia, and I do not rule out that Poland will take a corresponding initiative. Ukrainian economist and People's Deputy Yaroslav Zelezniak reported that Ukraine had lost $210 million due to transit disruptions on the Polish border. A new trend on social media exposes another aspect of the ongoing hybrid warfare campaign against Ukraine. Videos emerged of Poles pouring full bottles of Kuyavsky sunflower oil down the toilet. The alleged spontaneous protest started because Kuyavsky recently raised prices, and the Polish company appeared on a Polish boycott list for buying Ukrainian grain. Don't pour full bottles of oil down your toilet. It's a great way to cause catastrophic clogs in the sewer line, and then you'll experience Russian mir. The Minister of Agriculture of Lithuania, Kastutis Navitskas, said that despite negotiations with his Polish counterparts, farmers plan to blockade the budisko kalvaria border crossing. Earlier, Lithuanian Prime Minister Ingrida Shimonita accused Polish farmers of engaging in a hybrid warfare operation for the Federal Security Service of Russia to turn Ukraine's allies against each other. After Russian President Vladimir Putin addressed the Federal Assembly, I'll cover a lot more in the theater-wide section. Prime Minister Tusk warned that European nations need to wake up. Quote, Europe must understand that the arms race that Russia is imposing on the world obliges the West to wake up and prepare militarily for potential threats. The EU must make decisions that balance Russia's military potential and make Europe better prepared for bad scenarios. Unquote. Bad scenarios is such a term that, in my opinion, needs to be elaborated. But let me start with this. First, all of us in Ukraine deeply appreciate all of the support Poland has provided. You were the first country to offer tanks and the first country to offer fighter planes. Thank you. 
you opened your borders for Ukrainian women and children running from death by Russian Mir. I personally have friends and acquaintances who found shelter in Poland, and I could have been among them too. So thank you for your decisiveness and unequivocal support in the darkest hour. I also know Polish volunteers staying in Ukraine now, helping us, participating in humanitarian missions, donating their time and skill. Thank you again. We really appreciate this deeply. Nevertheless, as any pair of neighboring nations, Ukraine and Poland have a long history of reciprocal, let's call it, lack of understanding. And Russia is happy to use it to nourish any negative narrative they can get hold of. When I consider the list of possible bad scenarios the Russian Federation Armed Forces parked along the southern border of Poland seems to be close to as bad as it can get. The dispute between Poland and Ukraine is rooted in legitimate trade issues, but the Russian support of the ongoing blockade is transparent. Warsaw needs to end the illegitimate aspects of the ongoing protests and restore the damaged relationship with Ukraine. Right now, we are delaying a future war on Polish soil with the blood of our citizens. To quote Prime Minister Tusk, wake up. Moving on to Moldova. Russian President Vladimir Putin set a record for the longest speech ever given to the Federal Assembly in the post-Soviet era. After talking for 2 hours, 6 minutes and 38 seconds, the name Transnistria never passed his lips. No annexation, no recognition, no declarations of war. While Putin was putting members of the Federal Assembly to sleep for the second year in a row, diplomatic envoys from the United States, Ukraine and the United Kingdom visited the legitimate officials of the breakaway Moldovan Republic. The legitimate president of Transnistria, Vadim Krasnoselsky, was told that Tiraspol and Chisinau should negotiate one-on-one without the involvement of outside parties. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Moldova, Mihai Popsoy, called Transnistria's ask for economic help from Moscow as another element of Russia's ongoing hybrid warfare campaign to destabilize the government. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Here is my theater-wide update. Someone, change the sign. It's been zero days since the Russian government official threatened nuclear war. President Putin did have a lot to say during his two-plus-hour speech, including threatening Ukraine's allies. Quote, the West claims that Russia is allegedly planning to attack Europe. This is just nonsense. There is talk about the possibility of sending NATO military forces to Ukraine, but we must remember the fate of previous armies deployed on our country's territory. Now the consequences for potential intruders will be much more tragic. They must understand that we also have weapons to strike targets in their territory. Every tactic they invent and use to scare the world 
invokes a real threat of a conflict involving nuclear weapons. Unquote. Hold that thought, we're going to come back to this. The Russian leader went on to say that, quote, all strategic nuclear forces are ready for guaranteed use, unquote, while claiming Sarmat ICBMs and Zircon hypersonic missiles had been deployed and the Poseidon nuclear torpedo was completing testing. Yes, that the same Poseidon nuclear torpedo that in 2022 Russia claimed produced 1,000-meter-high tidal waves and was already in serial production. Putin also denied that Russia planned to deploy nuclear forces in space. Responding to Putin's speech, United States officials said there were no indications that Russia was preparing nuclear weapons or made other changes to their readiness. Putin vowed that the so-called special military operation would continue, including the, quote, denazification of Ukraine. The day before Putin's speech, former Fox News host Tucker Carlson was interviewed by Lex Friedman, who asked him about Putin's statements on denazification. Here's what Tucker had to say. I thought it was one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard. I didn't even understand what it meant. Denazification? It literally means what it sounds like. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I don't, I hate that whole conversation because it, it's not real. It's just ad hominem. It's a way of associating someone with an evil regime that doesn't exist anymore. Bloomberg reported that Ukraine sees a risk that Russia will break through its defenses in the summer without additional military aid. Additionally, Ukrainian leaders do not believe that Russia has abandoned its plans to capture key cities, including Kyiv and Odessa. Ukraine's plan B without additional U.S. aid is to try and hold the front line until F-16s arrive and Western ammunition production increases. News publication Defense Express examined the failure of Ukraine to build effective static defenses in 2023. In their analysis, the problem was threefold. Kyiv's reluctance to build static defenses in the lead-up to the summer 2023 offensive, expectations that the military brigades held the responsibility, and a reluctance to use private contractors. The article compared Ukraine to Russia, pointing out that Moscow nationalized private construction companies, which made concrete shelters and dug trenches and ditches in accordance with a master plan developed by General of the Army Sergei Surovikin. However, Defense Express left an important aspect out of how Russia built the Surovikin line in the south and the Prigozhin line in the east. Slave labor. There were numerous and consistent reports by Ukrainians who escaped the occupied territories in 2023 of mass mobilization of men and women, from teens to pensioners, to work as slave labor, building the defensive structures. They reported working 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, with inadequate food, water and inadequate shelter. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin testified to the House Armed Service Committee, saying, quote, If Ukraine loses the war, NATO will have to fight Russia. He insisted that Russia will not stop, likely striking the Baltic states next. He also appealed for the House to stop blocking military support for Ukraine, adding, quote, We see every single day that Russians continue to push and push for incremental territorial gains. Auditors with the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine discovered that $4.9 million of combat pay 
had been issued to Ukrainian soldiers in non-combat roles since February 2022. A plan to claw the money back is being developed. Ukraine produced 200,000 drones in the first two months of 2024, according to Deputy Minister for Strategic Industry Hanna Huzdyar. Satellite images indicate that Russia has put a new A-50A WAGs into the theater of war, based out of Taganrog in the Rostov region in Russia. The base of operation is highly unusual. Ukraine has struck Taganrog multiple times with missiles and drones. We are really going to do this again. The Prime Minister of the Czech Republic, Petr Fiala, said that no European country is planning to send troops to Ukraine, and French President Emmanuel Macron only talked about the idea on the sidelines of the recent Paris summit. The statement aged as well as room-temperature milk, with President Macron telling reporters, quote, Every word I say on this topic is considered, thought out, and balanced. France also announced it was providing 100 delay reconnaissance drones to Ukraine. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz caused a diplomatic row while defending his decision not to provide Taurus cruise missiles to Ukraine. The German leader said the missiles, quote, can hit targets in Moscow, adding, this is a very far-reaching weapon, and what the British and French are doing in terms of target control and support for target control cannot be done in Germany, unquote. To clarify, Scholz claimed that the UK and France have boots on the ground in Ukraine. The chairperson of the Foreign Affairs Committee of the UK Parliament, Alicia Kearns, called Scholz's statement, quote, wrong, irresponsible, and a slap in the face to allies, unquote. François Heisberg, a senior advisor with the London-based International Institute for Strategic Studies, tweeted, quote, Looks like Scholz cares as little or even less for the UK allies as he does for the French. Silver lining, nonetheless, he's unwittingly helping to break the taboo on the presence of NATO member forces in Ukraine. Unquote. Wait, President Vlad the Impaler Putin said that European troops in Ukraine were a red line for nuclear war. Let me look out my window. Nope, there is no nuclear war. David, is there nuclear war where you are? Let me look out my window. No nuclear war here either. Russian threats to use nuclear weapons are, and continue to be, a bluff. For the 57% of our audience outside of the United States, the next part is for you. U.S. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson told U.S. state media agency Voice of America that assistance for Ukraine would be conceded after funding for the American government continues. Yes, the House of Representatives did pass a continuing resolution to fund parts of the government through March the 8th and others, including the Department of Defense, through March the 22nd, voting 320 to 99. And the Senate also approved the measure in a 77-13 vote. When Johnson said that the issue of Ukraine aid would be taken up after founding the government, he didn't mean the continuing resolutions. He meant the actual 2024 fiscal year budget, which was supposed to be approved before September 30, 2023. Right now, there is only tentative agreement on six of the 12 spending bills. The House has not moved one meter closer to considering the existing Senate bill or its own aid package. 
the truth matters. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. I look forward to you joining me on Monday. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.